Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Look carefully then, when. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Because Christ has shined on you. Because you belong to God Almighty because of the purchase of Jesus Christ and because of the work of his spirit in your heart so that you have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You recognized Christ and you have trusted your eternal destiny to his finished work. Your eternal destiny doesn't depend in any way upon you, but only on him. And you have simply recognized that reality and put your faith in it. So Christ has shined on you. So then, look carefully how you walk. Some people would say, well, if Christ has shined on me and I didn't have anything to do with it, why do I have to be careful how I walk? And on, the honest answer to that question is, well, you don't have to. But you can. So I want to ask you, would you rather walk as unwise? We have another word for unwise, a less kind word, stupid. Would you rather be stupid in the way you walk? I don't think so. So if you have the opportunity because you have been raised together with the rest of us in Christ to new life, well, you have the opportunity to live a new kind of life. <clears throat> so you should carefully do so. I mean, why wouldn't you? Well, the answer to the question, why wouldn't you, is because you weren't born wise. And sin appeals to you still, even though that is really dumb. To sin is to behave in insanity because it is always suicidal. It is death. So because you are alive, the text says, quit living as though you're still dead. 
walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil, redeeming the time. Because you are in Christ, you are the light of the world. Jesus himself said it. So don't hide that. Redeem the time because the days are evil. So you have this grand opportunity. You can show up and bring grace. Because you possess grace. You can show up and bring love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can bring all of that because you are in Christ. And you are occupied by the Spirit of Christ who produces all of those things. You don't produce them, but he will produce them in you. And so when you show up in a place, this is who you are. Would you prefer something else? I don't think so. I don't think so. Make the best use of the time. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is good, righteous. Now, we can take lessons in what's good and righteous. We, you know, we can learn a little more about that, but to some degree, it's kind of obvious. Tell the truth. Be honest. Be an exhibit of God's grace. Be forgiving. You know, be forgiving means actually let people hurt you. And then show grace. Because you know that Christ's forgiveness of you healed you. And you can be a channel of that healing for someone else. Even though that experience might be painful for you. It's still good. It's really good. You wouldn't want to do anything else, really. The scripture says that the word of God is pleasing and perfect. That ultimately when we carry out what he wants carried out, when we bring what he wants brought to the people around us, it's pleasing to God, to me, and to them. It's good. It's pleasing. And it's perfect. You know, God, when he figures out what his will is, <laughs> just think about that statement for a while. I, I have to figure out what I want. God already knows. God doesn't spend a lot of time figuring out what he wants. He's got it figured out. 
And you know what? It's perfect. His figuring out of what he wants is perfect. That means it includes everything. All things. It includes what has ever occurred. Everything that has ever occurred. God considers when determining his will for you. It includes everything that might have occurred and didn't. He knows it all. That's what we mean when we say he's omniscient. It doesn't just include what has happened. It includes everything that could have happened and didn't happen. And it includes everything that will happen in the future. Oh, and everything that could possibly happen but won't. All of that is known to God. His wisdom is boundless. He is omniscient. He knows everything. So in his determination of, your, of his will in your life, all things have been considered. I wonder what proportion of all things I have considered when I'm making up my mind what I want. I don't think you could measure the proportion because it's so tiny. It's microscopic. That means you can't see it. It's so tiny. Now, which of these wills do I want? Well, if I'm wise, his. And he's willing to share it with me. <laughs> Walk as wise. Don't be foolish. Be filled with the Spirit. That means be focused on Christ. Be focused on Christ. We've read in the book of Ephesians that the thing the Spirit does is focus our attention on Christ so that we might be strong enough to be occupied by Christ by faith. The Spirit strengthens us so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. We, as Christians, we tend to think that the people who need to believe in Jesus are the people who haven't yet. But let me tell you, everyone needs to believe in Jesus. No matter how long they've been believing in Jesus, the main thing you need is to believe in Jesus and so come to be occupied by him in faith. So that's what the Spirit does. He focuses you on Christ. And so you come to live in Christ before the Father and by the Spirit. Now, that's our review. Because what we're talking about today is fathers. I kind of wish it was Father's Day, but, you know, I don't time these things very well. Fathers. The last thing the scripture says about walking as wise is it says submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. In other words, 
to be wise, for you to live intelligently, for you to live wisely, smartly, well. You should submit to the people around you. That's sort of against my intuitions. Why would I do that? In the fear of Christ, that's why. Because of Christ, that's why. Because I'm occupied by Christ and by his spirit, and Christ himself exhibited this quality by humbling himself to become one of us, and then as one of us, humbling himself to serve the people around him, though he is their king of kings and lord of lords. God Almighty made flesh, did not come to be served, but to serve. He humbled himself among us, He humbled himself among us entirely so that where he ended up as one of us is last. When Jesus said, if you want to be first, you should put yourself last, who was he talking about besides himself? who was first and put himself last. And when we talk about last in his case, we're not just talking about, you know, last in a group of 10 or say in the congregation the size of this. We're talking about last, last. He gave his life a sacrifice for the sins of the world last he submitted himself in love to us and so to walk as wise is to follow that example so let's talk about fathers Last time we talked about children who are called upon to submit themselves to their parents in obedience. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. These are ways a child can submit to his parents. And we noticed last time that the Scripture, the Apostle, the Spirit of God addresses children directly. God gives children the respect of their own agency. He treats them with the dignity of full human being. He addresses them directly. Children, here's a decision you should make if you want to be wise. Obey your parents. It is children that decide that. (laughs) Now, parents, you can demand it. Probably most of you have. You've demanded it. And they decide. And they decide whether it's just obedience or obedience and honor. 
they decide, even a little one, They are human beings. They are created in the image of God. They have a person that belongs to them. They are human beings. So, fathers, what is the wise way for you to behave? The text says, fathers, Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do not provoke anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, this text is addressed to fathers, and I'd like to notice something here. Children were called upon to obey their parents. That's a different word, parents. This word is fathers. Now, in our discussion in the Sunday school discussion after church last week, I kind of made a mistake about this. I said, yeah, it doesn't really matter because fathers means parents. And there's an extent to which that is the case. This commandment applies to parents generally. It applies to parents generally. All parents should do these things, fathers and mothers. But the commandment is addressed to fathers. I think part of the reason is fathers might be a bit more likely to neglect this duty because they get distracted and they don't pay much attention to their children. And the other reason is because fathers are the head of the house and are called upon to see to this all around. So, fathers slash parents. So, if you're a father, this is addressed to you somewhat more directly. But if you are a parent, this is addressed to you anyway. So, what's the commandment? Don't provoke anger. That's So fascinating, isn't it? Take care not to provoke anger. There's a parallel text in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. And in that text it says, don't exasperate your children, lest they become discouraged. Here's something as a father, if you want to walk in Christ and display the wisdom of God's grace in your relationship with your children, don't make them mad. 
Really? That seems impossible. Don't exasperate them. Really? How would you avoid that? Kids seem to just get mad for almost no reason. I'm sure they have a reason, but... So how does this apply? Well, the word exasperate means don't embitter your children. Now, I don't want to step too hard on anyone's toes, but there are grown people walking around in this world today who are embittered toward their parents, who really have no fellowship with their parents because of the treatment they got from their parents. They have been embittered. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't be the grandfather who doesn't know his grandchildren because your children won't be in the same room with you. Now, don't exasperate, embitter your children lest they become discouraged. Don't provoke anger in your children. Don't make them mad. Now, as we've noticed, children sometimes seem to just get angry. You know, and there are kids, some kids, they're all different. I mean, how you would do this for the one, you get, you know, you have the first one and you, you after a few years, you feel like maybe you're starting to approximate the correct approach. And the second one just throws that all out the window because they are not the same. And what worked for this one is making this one crazy. <sighs> this is a hard job. What does it mean not to provoke anger? Well, I want to I say it like this. Don't be an unnecessary cause of anger. Sometimes you will need to discipline your children and they will be angry and it is unavoidable and you should not fail to discipline them just because it's going to make them a little angry. So sometimes it might be necessary a little anger. But don't be an unnecessary cause of anger and don't be a just cause of anger. Don't let your child be mad at you because they are right and you are wrong. Don't let that happen. Wow, well that means you have to be right all the time. And kids vary, so you need to pay close attention to each one of them, to the particular needs of the particular kid, and avoid somehow exasperating them, discouraging them. The word discouraged, lest they become discouraged, it means this, tempted to quit. Here's something you don't want your kids to become, tempted to quit. 
You never want your kid to think, it's not worth it. To lose hope. Here's, I think, maybe something that will help with this. Don't demand things that they can't do. Parents, don't insist on things that they're not capable of. Equip them to do what you require. I remember, uh, I don't know how old I was, 12, 13, something like that. My dad told me to sweep the garage, so I swept the garage. And a little while later, I'm sitting there watching TV or something. Oh, we didn't have one of those. This was a long time ago. <laughs> I'm sitting there watching TV. Like, this is how you did it then. And he came in the room, he said, I thought I told you to sweep the garage. I said, I did sweep the garage. And he says, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. I did sweep the garage. Well, I held a broom in my hand in the garage for a while. Now, my dad could have just engaged me in a meaningless argument. You didn't sweep the garage, well, or you didn't do a good job of it, or blah, 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 blah. But he somehow noticed, in this particular occasion, he somehow noticed that someone needed to teach me how to sweep. So he said, come with me. He did not say, get back out there and try again. He said, come with me. And so I went with him and he said, now, when I say sweep the garage, this is what I mean. And he showed me. So he didn't exasperate me that particular day. He didn't exasperate me. He didn't provoke anger in me. He showed me how to sweep and then I swept and everything's fine. Although I was still a little annoyed. I was annoyed when he first told me to sweep the garage, which is probably why I didn't do a very good job of it. I swept the garage just enough to be able to say, well, so he wasn't satisfied with that, but he didn't provoke anger in me. He equipped me to do what he demanded. So when you are parenting your children and you are going to help them learn how to do stuff, how to be someone, how to relate to people, how to clean something, how to this, that, or the other, equip them to do what you require of them. This is how you avoid embittering them. You show enough care. And if you get right to it, that's kind of the point. If you ask me, how do I know my father accepted me and cared about me? The answer is something like he was willing to take the time to show me how to sweep. 
He was not annoyed. Well, he probably was, actually. He was, even though annoyed, willing to equip me to do what is required. Equip your children to do what you require of them, and you will avoid a lot of anger and exasperation. And that means you're going to need to bring them up. Bring them up. This word in the original text means to nourish and provide. To nourish and provide. To give them what they need to grow. If they need some basic knowledge about how brooms work, you give them that. If they need some food, you give them that. If they need some clothing, you give them that. If they need some shelter, you give them that. You will make some sacrifices to provide what they need to grow. Here's something they need. They need to know Christ. They need to know Christ. To be a full-fledged human being involves knowing Christ. Do you want your children to be full-fledged human beings? You better introduce them to Christ. To be reconciled to the living God and so to be made alive again. Bring them up. Give them what they need to grow. Now again, kids are annoyingly different. Not the same. What this one needs is not the same as what this one needs. So you have to pay close attention. This is a big task. It is, it is a difficult thing. Kids vary. So you need to pay close attention to the particular needs of the particular kid. And as you're bringing them up, that means you're nourishing them, you're providing for them, you're giving them what they need to grow. One of their needs is the next thing. Bring them up in the discipline. In discipline. This is a word for training kids. It tells us that kids actually need training, discipline. This is, I think, about guidance into responsibility. Guidance into responsibility. What you're doing when you train a kid is you are guiding that kid into taking responsibility for themselves and their decisions. And what you want is a kid that when he's 15 doesn't need to be told to brush his teeth. Because he has been guided into taking that responsibility upon himself. And that is a very trivial case, isn't it? But there's a lot of things in this life that we need to take responsibility for. And what we're doing as a parent is we're trying to go from zero responsibility to more or less complete adult responsibility 
all within the span of about 18 years. It's a big challenge. And as we all know, when you get to the age of 18, you aren't really already there, are you? I'm 63 and I'm still working on it. But that's the goal. We are guiding them into responsibility. And this will include some correction. Discipline. Now, the only way to do this, and this is just extremely practical advice now, the only way to do this is to allow them to make decisions. And of course, you're the mom or the dad, so you got to gauge what kind of decision would be healthy to put on them, and you don't want to exasperate them, so don't put anything too heavy. So you want to allow them to make the decisions you think they are capable of making at this stage. So you let them make a choice, and then you let them experience the consequences of that choice. If they decide unwisely, let them feel a little of the pain of that wisdom. Don't shelter them too much. But don't hold it against them. They're kids. And you're guiding them into responsibility. So you let them make a choice and you let them experience the consequence of that choice, positive or negative. And in doing this, you teach them the great prize it is to adopt responsibilities. <laughs> Some of us grown-ups need to learn this. It is a great prize to take responsibility. I was a youth pastor for a long time, so I was dealt with teenagers a lot when I was younger. This is what I would tell them. Freedom, that thing you want, has another name. The other name is responsibility. These are not two different things that just go together, which they do. These are two names of the exact same thing. So if you want freedom, you take responsibility. And what you're doing as a parent is you are trying to guide your child to see this by letting them have it in a sort of measured fashion. So you give them a little responsibility. Doug, go sweep the garage. And you demonstrate that taking that responsibility and taking it seriously and going with it is the path. It's freedom. I decided how I would sweep the garage. My father did not decide it. He showed me. And 
the consequence of adopting responsibility is freedom. There are two names of the same thing. And you want your children to understand this because when they someday are working from some, for some guy or some woman, when they are out in the world doing whatever it is they do, who are the people who get promoted? The people who take on the job they want. The people who do what they want to do, even when it's not required of them, who go do something extra in the workplace, who adopt response. How do you have freedom? How do you become the decision maker about this, that, or the other thing? You exercise responsibility. And kids are different. Kids vary, so you need to pay close attention to the particular needs of the particular kid. They don't all grow in this at the same rate. They don't all appreciate this responsibility over that one. They're different. They have different intuitions, different inclinations. Some of them will enjoy this, and some of them will enjoy that. How are you going to do this? It's hard to see how you're going to do this as a parent. Some of you are more or less done being parents. How did you do? It's a hard sort of thing to take on. Well, there's another need that your kids have when you're bringing them up and you're providing them with the things they need. And the other need is mentioned here. First of all, it's in the discipline, and the second of all, it's in the instruction of the Lord. This word instruction is also sometimes translated admonition. <laughs> it actually carries the meaning warning. Warning in the discipline and the warning in other words, as parents, you are called upon to look out into the world on behalf of your kids and say, watch out for that. Look out. Look out. Watch out. This word emphasizes the warning of danger. The warning of the danger of a wrong or unwise course in life. Your child is making a decision. Some of the options on the table require warning. Some require, hey, take another look at this. Some of them require, watch out for that. Let me tell you about the consequences of that choice. Let me show you what people have experienced when they went that way or when they went that way. And which of these ways will you choose? Sometimes the good way is the hard way. And kids need encouragement and equipping and provision to make the good choice that's the hard choice. So as they make decisions that are theirs to make, 
Help them understand the likely consequences of those decisions. You might have a better perception of the world because you've been around a while longer. Help them see the various risks involved, the costs and the benefits. Help them evaluate. Remember, they're going to end up making a choice. Now, we're assuming here that you have the necessary wisdom and foresight for this, which not so sure that's a great assumption. How are you developing your own wisdom, your own capacity to look out into the world and evaluate choices and consequences? This is not something you ever get done with. Are you working on walking not as unwise, but as wise? But you know, there's a great good fortune at the end of this sentence. You can't pull this off. However well you do it, your children need better. We know this because we had parents and we needed better sometimes. The scripture says don't provoke your children to anger. I could tell you some stories because they are very memorable to me when my parents did not succeed in obeying that command. And my parents were good parents. This is an impossible challenge. But the great good fortune at the end of this sentence is in these three words, of the Lord. Bring them up. Provide for them in the discipline and the instruction. Nourish them in the discipline, the training, and the admonition, and the warning, and the spelling out of the vision of the consequences. All of that is not from you. It's from Him. Of the Lord. So, as you do your best to be wise, to be fathers, parents who are walking as wise and submitting yourself to your children in just this exact way to bring them up, to show them how to go from no responsibility to able to handle this life. The, when you are engaged in this impossible task, there's another father. There's a better father than you. There's your father. Our almighty God, Father, the all-wise, all-knowing, all-caring, all-loving God Almighty who has demonstrated His love for us. So as you bring up your children, don't forget to be brought up in Him. 
If you are not trusting God as your provider, you are not properly providing for your own children. You might be doing a reasonably good job of it. But every good and perfect gift is from Him. So you need to look to Him. You need His wisdom. You need to walk in His will, to be filled with His Spirit, to be completely oriented and occupied by the Lord Jesus, the, the great champion of grace. Because here's something you will need if you're going to bring up kids. A lot of grace. You will need to let things go. You will need to extend unconditional acceptance. And you will need to do so when that proposition is greatly challenged. When it will be really hard to keep even looking at this kid. You are called upon to extend the grace of God. And if you aren't getting it, you won't have it to give. All elements, every element of the walk of the Christian life, everything about it, begins and ends in our walking in fellowship with the living God in Christ and by His Spirit. To be recipients of His provision. The first thing about being a Christian is getting. God is giving. You receive, you can give too. If you're not walking in the wisdom of grace, your instruction to your children will be less beneficial to them. So you are called upon, just like you are in all your relationships, but especially in this one, you are called upon to exhibit the goodness of God, to show the goodness of God's grace in Christ, to show up to change the nature of the times. That's what we read, walk in wisdom, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And as you're seeking to discipline the evil out of your children, you need to show up in God's grace and change the nature of this. They're going to make their own choices, and sometimes what you do will not work, even though it's the right thing. But you don't want to be the reason they're bitter. You want to be the exhibit of God's goodness. How can you consistently communicate to your child that you will never reject them no matter what? And when we say no matter what, 
when we're talking about us and our Heavenly Father, no matter what means no matter what. You can't sin your way out of this deal. Can your children sin their way out of your deal? You want the answer to be no. They cannot. How can you consistently communicate to your child that you will not reject them? You might punish them. You might not defend them if there's a criminal case for their own good. But you will never, ever, ever consider that they are not yours. That they don't belong to you anymore. You will not reject them. That your love is not based in any way on them earning it. This is the nature of the love we have from God in Christ. Not based in any way on your earning it. It's just he's called you his child and that's that. They can share any problem with you. <laughs> now let's think of some of the problems that can possibly be shared that you hope your child never has. But you want your children to be confident that they can share any problem with you with no fear of your rejection. but with the assurance of your assistance. You want your children to know that they can trust you for counsel and support no matter what and no matter when. When you're 97 years old and they're 77 years old, they can count on you. You want your children to experience from you the fruit of the Spirit. Love. Joy. You are happy that they are your child. Peace. There's a re reconciliation in God in Christ. So whatever disruption may occur, we're made whole again in Him. Peace. Patience. You know, you don't need patience if someone's not challenging your patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. You know, it can be really hard for parents to maintain their self-control. Sometimes kids are such idiots. And you just lose it. But you're not their only father. And you have one too. And he never 
loses it. You always have from him that unconditional acceptance that he calls upon from you for them. This is not something you produce yourself. It is the result of the work of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. We take the fruit of the Spirit and turn it into the law of God, and that's not what it is. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And what is it the Spirit does? We know all about it from Ephesians chapter 3. The Spirit works in us to strengthen us so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. The Spirit's job in our life, the role of the Spirit in our life, is to fill us with Christ. And when we are full of Christ, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are extended from us to the people around us. This is a walk of faith. It is not a walk of law. If, if you try to just obey God and do the right thing by your kids, you might do a reasonably good job. People who don't know Christ do a reasonably good job raising kids. But if you know Christ, you have this great opportunity to bring your kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord not just you. That is a fantastic opportunity. Let us pray that by his spirit, we will seize it and take full advantage of our possibilities in him. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace, for the love of Christ that makes all of these things possible. Help us, Lord. Help us as a church, as Yanto reminded us, to bless the children among us, to respect them as people, to minister the good news of the gospel to them, to encourage them, to help them grow. And I pray for every parent in this room, Lord, whatever their challenges have been up to this point. Father, I pray that this ministry of grace would become real through them to their children. You are the one who works these things. So we are asking you, in Jesus' name, amen.